Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 60. You might also follow along in your note sheet. We'll also be in Jeremiah chapter 7. The title of this message is Families Facing a Babylon Moment. Families Facing a Babylon Moment. Would you stand with me as we read from Psalm chapter 60, verses 1 through 3? Psalm 60, 1 through 3. Please stand if you are able. The word of the Lord. Psalm 60. O God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. O restore us again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its branches, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. You may be seated. I'm in a a reflective mood these last uh, number of days um, for a number of reasons, both personal and also just what's happening in our world. Um, I don't know about you, but um, the world around us, uh, the world around me right now is, uh, it's, well, it's Psalm 60, right? Um, Broken, uh, trembling. The earth is broken, it's, it needs healing, it's shaking, we're seeing hard things, we're in a state of, of confusion, there's no uh, direction, there's a lot of wickedness and disruption. The world is in a very unsettled place. Uh, financially, the, these past weeks, those of you, uh, Scott and, and others in the financial markets, Elias, you know just how tumultuous the global economy is right now. Just what's happening in China, what's happening throughout the world in developing nations, the, the, no one's sure quite where money is going to go, where economies are going to go. We look at politics, we see, uh, Chaos globally, but also locally here uh, in our own nation, uh, we, we seem to uh, be very confused as a nation where we should move politically, who should be our next leader. And those who might be our, our leaders are, are uh, entrenched in various scandals. Overseas, uh, foreign relations, we've, we see what's going on between the U.S. and Iran, and we wonder, like, what... What's happening there? Are we making a good decision? Should we be trusting them with this, this large treaty of sorts? Should we, should we make a deal with the Iranians? We, we overseas are fighting a war, but we're, we're fighting somewhat with one hand tied behind our back. We see ISIS, ISIL, we see what they do, we know it's wrong, but we have decided to only use half measures to defeat them. 
Here at home, we're dealing with the uh, abortion issue. Um, some of you may have seen uh, last uh, Friday night a special on one of the uh, local uh, uh, news stations in which our own Obria Medical Clinics in Mission Viejo, the pro-life organization that we support as a church, they were featured in this special on abortion. They were featured as a, as a beautiful alternative, a wonderful art- alternative to this growing epidemic. And we're seeing time and again these videos being released of what's happening in that component of our society. We're seeing racial animus and uh, racial tension not seen since the riots of Los Angeles, perhaps not seen since the civil rights era. The tensions between black and white and so many other races uh, is at an all-time high. In many places, uh, police... Uh, Law enforcement are being directly targeted, um, executed just for wearing a uniform, regardless of how they might have conducted themselves in that uniform. Immigration, both a problem here, of course, in the United States, we're trying to deal with what to do with immigration, but really, when I think of immigration now, my heart really goes overseas. Uh, I think it was uh, Estella's husband who... Uh, made mention of the fact that his heart, of all the issues that are taking place in the world today, his heart is most broken. John John Harnett's heart was most broken by what uh, he saw overseas with respect to to the migrants that are leaving war-torn Middle East, Syria, Iraq, and trying to get across the Mediterranean so that they can find a better life in Europe. You may have heard the story of three-year-old Ailan Kurdi. Ailan Kurdi was born in Syria, a country eaten up by war. Uh, His parents, this is from uh, a CNN news story, his parents, Abdullah and Rehan, only wanted a better life for Ailan and his four-year-old brother, uh, Gallup. A better life than they had in Kobani, Syria. They wanted what anyone does, what hundreds of thousands of people fleeing violence who have flooded Europe want, a safe home. So Abdullah, the father, says he boarded a f- small fiberglass boat in Turkey with 12 people on board. The vessel was manned by two smugglers, a Turk and a Syrian. It was very crowded, he said. I told them, should we empty the boat? The father was worried. He had both he and his wife and his two sons Should we empty the boat, he asked the smuggler. Should should I get off with my wife and children? And one of the smugglers replied, no, no, it's good. Large waves began to crash against the boat after the refugees uh, set course. Curdy raised again his concern with the smugglers, but the smugglers insisted, no, it's guaranteed, guaranteed, the journey is safe. Shortly afterward, the smuggler jumped overboard and swam toward shore as the waves pounded harder and harder. The father, Abdullah, tried to take control of the boat, but it capsized in the rough waters. I tried to reach for my wife and children, he said. I was in the water for 20 minutes. One person after another was dying, trying to make that simple but treacherous dream a reality. Ilan, his brother, and his mother drowned. An image of the boy's body on a Turkish beach shook the world this week. Abdullah says, I don't want anything from anyone anymore, the father said. I will sit by my wife and children until I die. Many of you saw the image of that three-year-old boy washed ashore on the 
um, trying to get across the Mediterranean. We think we have an immigration problem. More than 2,600 people have died fleeing places like Syria and Iraq for a better life. Over 350,000 of them have made it to Europe and are flooding of those countries. Those countries are completely overwhelmed. I read Psalm 60 and uh, I resonate with it because David, the psalmist, says the world is broken. Oh God, you've cast us off. You've broken us down. You've been displeased. Oh, restore it again. You've made the earth tremble. You've broken it. Heal. Heal its breaches. For it is shaking. You've shown your people hard things. You've made us drink wine of confusion. The fall season, at least out west, here where we live, the fall season brings routine, right? School starts, uh, vacations are over, back on a schedule, going through the motions. Uh, I'm a bit reflective right now. And I feel like um, we can't go through the motions. I sense that uh, we're at a a pivotal moment in human history. And to just return to regular fall, school schedule, the same old, same old. I fear that we, we can't do that anymore as a people. Things are happening in our world. Hard things, mass confusion, things are breaking, the earth is trembling, the walls are breached. Good, what was once good, is now called evil, and evil is now called good. Next week, we are going to start in the book of Esther. Esther is an Old Testament story about God's people who went through a time not unlike Psalm 60. That time ended for them in a time of slavery and exile in Babylon. Esther is a story about how Israel had to struggle, had to climb their way out of the rubble and find a way to survive and live again as God's people. And the previous week, Pastor Tom warned that we are now, very likely, living in a post-Christian nation, a post-Christian world. And we need to prepare for exile. We need to be prepared to live as an exiled minority, as foreigners, as migrants, amidst a culture that increasingly ignores us at best, or persecutes, imprisons, and harms us at worst. Pastor Tom last week spoke of corporate options that we have before us. How we, as the Christian church, will soon have to make a choice how we're going to live. Whether to erect walls up and live in isolation. He termed that the, uh, the Benedictine option. Or to quietly and humbly carry on, keeping a low profile and doing our best to seek the welfare of the society around us. 
He called that the Old Testament option. Or thirdly, to rise up and to go on the offensive, openly and publicly sharing the gospel, refusing to stay quiet about the nature of God's truth, beckoning others to join the kingdom of God. He termed that the New Testament or the Christian colony option. If you missed Pastor Tom's message, you must listen to it. Last week, it's on our website. It was outstanding. It was filled with spiritual wisdom. Today, I, I just want to add a few um, supplemental thoughts to that sim- same topic. Not so much as it relates to the Christian church globally, Big, big C church. But as it relates to you and to me locally, right here and right now, Coast Bible Church, as Christian people and families living in Southern Orange County in 2015. For we, of all people, can become very, very comfortable, very immune to what is happening around us, I want to jar us for a moment. I want to wake us. I don't want us to go into the fall routine. I want us to look at this season a little differently. And to know that this moment in human history is perhaps one of the most unique that we've ever lived in. Jeremiah 7 may be a helpful exercise as we go through this study today. If you have a Bible, you may turn there. I've also included portions of that on your outline. Jeremiah chapter 7. The prophet Jeremiah is speaking to the people, to a people that had grown very comfortable in their same routines. The world around them was in chaos. Babylon had come on the scene. And in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah the prophet is speaking directly to the Jews living in the safety of the walls of Jerusalem. They were comfortable. The news of the outside world, while it trickled in, uh, it didn't seem to phase them. They knew that, that they heard of this Babylon, of this Nebuchadnezzar who was coming on his horse and it, with his hundreds of thousands of Babylonian soldiers with him. They knew that uh, something was awry, something was amiss in the world, but within the walls of Jerusalem, they were in their holy huddle. They were in their fall routine. They weren't paying attention. Despite the fact that the world was in chaos, that the world was broken and trembling. But in, in this capital city of Jerusalem, the people maintained naive confidence. Naive confidence that Nebuchadnezzar would never reach Jerusalem. Surely the chaos and the suffering of the world around them would never breach those walls. And why? Why did they have such confidence? Well, because one thing and one thing only. The temple, the temple, the temple. Read chapter 7, verse 1 of Jeremiah. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate, Jeremiah, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house 
and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, and enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell safely in this place. Verse 4, but do not trust in these lying words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. The Jews of Jeremiah's day trusted that the mere presence of the temple in Jerusalem would shield them from the chaos of the world around them. They were standing, these Jews, on the shoulders of giants before them. They were standing on the shoulders of, of, of the wilderness generation that had secured the land of Israel for them. They were standing on the shoulders of, of great kings, Solomon and David. They were living off the luxury of generations gone by. And there they stood in their capital city of Jerusalem, pointing at the temple and saying, see, look what God has done for our people. Look what we have. Look all that our our people, our, our forefathers have built. Surely the Lord will not bring this for naught. Surely this will not be in vain. Surely this cannot be destroyed. We have the temple. We have the temple. We have the temple. They repeated. The Jews of Jeremiah's day believed that just the material presence of the temple in Jerusalem would shield them from the world. God has a question for us today, I think. Amidst the chaos of this world in our day, what things are we trusting in to convince ourselves that we will be comfortable, safe, and secure. Let me ask it again. What things, what material things, what worldly things are you and I trusting in? As we go back to our routine, what things do you trust in to convince yourself you're going to be comfortable, you're going to be safe? You're going to be secure. You might jot down on on your note sheet a variety of answers. And some of us were, it's money, right? We uh, we we've got some money in the account, and uh, we think, well, hey, even if the economy goes bad, even if it gets real crazy, at least I got this this little this little nest egg here, and I I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be secure. For others of us, we uh, we look at uh, we look at our, our job, our work, our, our home. We, we we've developed a network. We have a network of people that if, if things go bad, we can rely on this network that we've that we've built. For others of us, uh, we we think of our own uh, our own strength, our own self sufficiency. I know I know some that uh, who are preparing uh, in, in such a way for the worst that they would you know stock up supplies, stock up water and food and and, and guns and ammunition, and they're going to be ready for anything that comes their way. And they put all their all their security in that self sufficiency. 
What things do you trust in to convince yourself that you'll be comfortable, safe, and secure? The Jews of Jeremiah's day said, that temple, that temple will never fall. That temple will never fall. Americans, Western evangelical Christian Americans, that constitution, that constitution, it'll never fall. It'll never be broken. Our our laws, what we think about the world, our Judeo-Christian ethics, it'll never be broken. It'll never be breached. Wait a minute. Okay, can't put my faith in those things either, can I? My money, no. My network, uh uh-uh. My own self-sufficiency, certainly not. God has an answer for Israel in Jeremiah's day. I believe his answer is helpful for us today. The people were saying, Lord, the temple, the temple, the temple, surely nothing will come our way. Verse 5, for if you, the Lord responds, thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, read that, the migrant, the immigrant, the fatherless, the widow, And do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt. Then I will cause you to dwell, to dwell safely in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. God's response to a people that constantly supposes their security is built upon material things or past relics. God's response is that true peace and safety, true peace and safety, that emanates from our very soul, from our very being, true safety in this world is granted to the person who exhibits God's character, God's equity, God's compassion, God's relentless love. True peace and rest. A true sense of safety in this world is granted to the person who exhibits God's character, God's equity, God's compassion, and His relentless love. Do these things, the Lord admonishes His people, and you will have nothing to fear. Incur this kind of disposition. Reach down. And from your spirit. Guided by the Holy Spirit. Exhibit these things. In your life. A way of seeing the world. A way of conducting yourself amidst the world. And you will be. In complete safety. And peace. Regardless of what comes your way. I, for one, believe that, um, that you know, when it comes to Christians and, and, and the physical safety of this world, I think that uh, we need to perhaps prepare for the worst. Um, 
we have already stories of Christians being imprisoned for expressing their views um, in high office. That's just the beginning. We've warned about this before in previous messages. We are just at the beginning of a relentless, relentless attack upon people of faith, particularly Christians. And so physical safety, the, the safety of our families, of our future, physically, I think is very much in doubt. And I think we ought not look at the world around us and suppose that what is happening to Christians in Syria, in Iraq, that those types of things might not make its way across to these borders. That may be a long day in coming. But in the meantime, I'm speaking today of a different kind of safety. I'm speaking today of a different kind of security. And I'm speaking today of a different kind of peace. A kind of peace that you can have regardless of what comes here. A kind of peace that you can have regardless of whether you're locked up in a jail cell because you spoke to somebody about Jesus. And it's the kind of peace that only comes when your soul is settled upon being a child of God who expresses his character, his compassion, his equity, his relentless love. Well, the families of the Jews in Jerusalem did not take that advice. In Jeremiah's day, they they heard the Lord. They heard what Jeremiah said. And first, they, you know, they, they watched the chaos from afar, and they ignored it. They tried to cover their ears. Ah, that's not coming this way, is it? Then as the chaos and lawlessness drew nearer to them, they pointed to the temple. They pointed to ancient relics. They pointed to material things. Nevertheless, they were pointing to something that was a symbol of their ever-waning spirituality. They convinced themselves it was their safety net. It was nothing of the sort. All the while, these families failed to look within and see the chaos and the lawlessness and debauchery in their own life. They supposed that all that chaos and debauchery and wickedness was outside the walls of Jerusalem. What they didn't realize was that it was inside their heart. It was actually a self-inflicted wound of which Babylon was only coming to point out. Babylon was, to be sure, Babylon was coming to ravage the Jews, but only because they had already incurred self-inflicted wounds by their waywardness and indifference to the Lord. Jeremiah describes the people in verse 8. Behold, behold, you trust in lying words. That cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, a false god, and walk after other gods whom you do not know. And then, then, after you do all these things, you come and you stand before me in this house, in this temple, which is called by my name, and say, uh, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Lord, uh, we, it's all we can do. It's, we weren't thinking very well. We were just disposed, we were, we were predisposed, Lord, to, to go in this direction. Sorry. God says, if this is going to be your, your disposition toward me as you look at the world, 
then you will become a people that incurs the chaos. Skip down to verse 15. And I will cast you out of my sight, says the Lord, as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim, which is the northern kingdom of Israel. Verse 16, therefore don't pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or a prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. It'll be too late. Do you not see, verse 17, that they do what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Take a look at verse 18. The children, they gather wood. The fathers, they kindle the fire. The woman, they knead the dough. Why? To make cakes for the queen of heaven, Ishtar, a false god. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods and they, that they may provoke me to anger. Verse 20, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man, on beast, on trees of the field and the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. It was verse 18 that uh, was the inspiration behind this message this morning. As a father, uh, I was haunted by it. Uh, I was meditating on what it must have been like for uh, the whole family. Father, who's often the one who starts it. Mother, uh, who follows suit. And then children, the children of Jerusalem, who as a whole family was participating in pagan ceremonies to false gods. To think of these ancient Jewish families living comfortably in Jerusalem, having had so much blessing from the Lord year after year, yet in the midst of centuries of blessing, centuries of standing on the shoulders of those before them, these Jewish families in Jeremiah's day had completely taken their eyes off the Lord their God. It wasn't just the fathers, it wasn't just the mothers, even the children were participating in the departure from God's law. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, the woman need the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven and they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Ishtar, by the way, a Babylonian goddess, ironically enough. Children will follow in the footsteps of their parents. And there are times, you know, when I, there are times when I am uh, pleasantly and wonderfully surprised at um, the spirituality, the, the depth, the growth of my kids. There are times where Casey and I watch and, and we just think, wow, that just happened. You know, wow, they, they just sung with all of their heart to the Lord. Wow, they, they understood the lesson of that Bible story. Or wow, they, they treated someone in a way that Jesus would have been applauding them. Then there are other times when I'm frustrated with how little interest my children can show in the Lord, with how frequent they fight or exhibit selfish behavior. And yet, uh, Jeremiah 7.18 is a reminder to me that their behavior 
our children's behavior, our grandchildren's behavior. It's just really a, a reflection of our own behavior. And if we ourselves are wayward or indifferent toward the Lord, toward his character, toward his equity, toward his compassion or relentless love, then why would we, why would we be surprised when our children act the way that they do? We had a day like that in our family yesterday, actually. As I'm preparing for this, we had a day in which Casey and my, um, I would say, um, neglect of spending time with our children resulted in a day in which our children's behavior was at its worst in weeks and months. And as my wife and I spoke at the end of the day, we, we just kind of looked at each other and said, we, we received the recompense of what we invested. Our Saturday, our yesterday, which was for our family a terrible day, it was the recompense, it was the, the payment for two parents who just checked out of their children's lives. And when that happens, when the fathers kindle the fire and the mothers knead the dough, well, the children will be gathering the sticks. They'll be gathering the wood. The world is heading down a perilous path. Our nation is moving in a direction that's very far from the Lord. The psalmist's words 3,000 years ago are true today. Psalm 60, O God, you are casting us off. You are breaking us down. You are displeased. Please restore us. This earth is trembling. It is broken. Please heal it, for it is shaking. You're showing your people hard things. We are confused. We are intoxicated. We are intoxicated with the things of the world, and it's causing confusion. I'm, uh, I'm desperate as as a family, you know. I'm resolved as a father um, to really be careful. This fall, this is not the time for routine. This is the time for us to open our eyes and recognize the gravity of this moment in human history. The Christian church, Christian families, we who live in South Orange County, comfortable, completely immune, allegedly, to the things around us. Folks, we need to be desperate not to repeat the mistakes of those living in the walls of Jerusalem before the coming of Nebuchadnezzar. One of the solutions, one of these solutions, certainly not the only one, is for us to be together. For us to come together and receive that encouragement, receive that teaching, receive that admonition, receive that rebuke when we need it. It's one of the reasons we're doing what we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights. We're creating that evening as a family night so that we, as, a Christ, as Christian families, don't get blinded to what's happening around us in our world. We're 
going to be gathering on Wednesdays starting September 23rd. Everyone, infants to seniors, so that we won't make the mistakes of the families of Jerusalem in the days prior to the coming of Babylon. We are facing a Babylon moment. It's not physical armies that are coming this way, but I can tell you there's a great many attacks that are all around us. They are ample and they are relentless. We need one another. We need the Lord's word. We need to bear down in prayer. In fact, on Wednesday nights, not just a time of teaching, we're, we're going to be having a prayer room, a quiet room, a silent room. That if you're having one of those weeks that, that you just need to be quiet before the Lord, we're going to designate a, a place where you can go on a Wednesday night and just be quiet in that room before the Lord and pray and get right with Him. We don't want to be the families whose fathers kindle the fire, whose mothers knead the dough, and whose children gather the sticks, and who are completely blinded to what God wants of us. We, we will be the families that rise up in the midst of this culture, in the midst of this chaos, and regardless of what comes our way, we'll find true peace and safety, exhibiting God's character, His compassion, His equity, His relentless love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are uh, trying to learn these lessons of bygone eras. Uh, nothing is new under the sun. There's different characters, different players. There's a few uh, different forms of the temptations that are before us and of the struggles. But it's been done before. It's been done well before and it's been done poorly before. We see in Jeremiah 7, Lord, what it looks like to do things poorly. To take a road that, uh, that too many have taken and have lost as a result of it. I pray for our family here at Coast. I pray for each and every individual here, for the fathers, God, and the men. Lord, help our men. Restore our men in integrity. Help our men to be leaders in their families. Men of great character at work. Help our women, our mothers, our grandmothers. Lord, may they be Wonderful examples of faith, of care, of love. May they not stop loving, Lord, regardless of how some may treat them. May they continually show that, that beautiful, selfless spirit. For our children, Lord, they are going to follow us. We already know that. They're going to watch us and they're going to live and act and speak like us. So Lord, let us be a good example to them. Where we've gone wrong before them, Lord, let us apologize to them and seek their forgiveness. Let them be surprised by our humility, by our desire to do right by them. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need your spirit to guide us and to lead us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.